You're listening to a recent sermon from Covenant Church. For more information or other sermons like this one, you can find us at covenantchurchonline.com. And now, here's a word from our pastor, Travis Davenport. Okay, so we're talking out of the book of Ephesians um, today. Ephesians, a book study, is, the, is our title for this new series. I want to give you just really quickly uh, the context from what we're, where we're speaking. Ephesians was an actual, uh, the church of Ephesus is what this, this letter, this book of the Bible that we're going to be reading from, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus. There we go. That was kind of hard to get out. And just to give you some context uh, about that church at that period of time, in that period of time, the church in Ephesus was, was rich, lots of money. Very lavish lifestyle. They had basically everything they could ever, ever need, ever want. It was kind of the Hollywood of its day. A lot of famous people lived there. Uh, a, lot of famous, um, a lot of famous things took place there. That's where the cool gods like, were worshipped and, and uh, all the cool temples were built. And so when you said, like, let's go to Ephesus, people were like, oh, yeah, I took my vacation there last year, you know, and... And so Ephesus was a really cool place. In some spots, they had like running water, and, and it was a yeah, really big deal back then. And so Ephesus was a cool place, but Ephesus was also a church, and that church had become rather religious um, in their stance with Christ, and, and really, to be honest with you, had lost some of the intimacy. Does that make sense? Had lost their intimacy, um, that relationship with with Christ so a lot of them were going through all the right rituals and all the right religious practices but they were lazy in their intimacy with Christ and so Ephesians is really written for three reasons it's written for a number of reasons but predominantly for our series uh, we're going to say that it was written for three reasons that we're going to cover if you're taking notes this morning which I'd highly encourage you to do so you can take them home and and uh, prepare for sea life this week um Ephesians is written for these three reasons. Number one, a reminder. Number two, a rebuke. And number three, a realignment. A reminder, a rebuke, and a realignment. And this is specifically the realignment of Christ's followers and of Christ's church, the church of Ephesus. You got it? Cool. Let's begin. Um, Back in the day when I was a little guy, uh, my dad coached a high school football team, and I love this. This is partially where I have such a passion for, for football and for the Buckeyes and, um, and, you know, just great football teams in general, and that's why you don't hear me talk about the Browns too often, and uh, <coughs> God rest their souls, and... Um, <laughs> And uh, so my dad was a high school football coach, which, which made me by default as the seven, eight-year-old boy, what? The water boy, right? I was the water boy for this high school football team, which to me was one of the coolest jobs ever. My dad would have the, the football team over, um, you know, during different nights of the week, and, and they'd watch movies, and they'd go over game films, they'd do different stuff, and I'd walk out, and people would be like, Travis! And, and after a while, I thought that I was just like, the stuff. You know what I mean? Have you ever seen a, like a seven-year-old walk with like a limp? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that's right. You know what I'm saying? You know, like that. You know what I'm saying? Like that. That's how I walked then too. Sorry. 
I thought it was cool. I thought it was awesome. Like seven years old, six years old, and, and I got these high school guys telling me how cool I am and all this kind of stuff, right? Now, my job specifically as the water boy was relatively simple. I gave people water. That's basically the long and short of it. Um, I also gave them Gatorade. In fact, um, the, the water bottles had these straws, and you shot them into people's mouths. With the Gatorade, you had these little triangular cone cups that you had to fill up individually. People had to ask for those, right? And so it was about midway through the season, and, and uh, I remember that I was just kind of hanging out like any other normal game, except I was really thirsty. Not much was really going on. So I decided during the game on a Friday night to just go back and sip on some Gatorade because I'm the water boy, right? Well, apparently, I was really thirsty because I drank all the Gatorade. Literally, all. Well, I drained half of it out just playing with it, I think. I would just hold it down, and then I'd stick my finger over it and see how far it could shoot out, and then I think I tipped it over, and, you know, just a bunch of stuff. And so that's number one. Keep that in mind, okay? That's number one. Number two, um, while the game was happening, I also went close to the field, and I kept getting closer and closer, and then I actually, like, stepped onto the field. I was just seeing, like, I guess what I could do. I don't really remember, and I got our team a penalty. <coughs> the water boy got his team a penalty. That was not, I'm just going to let you know, that was not a good night for me. Uh, I drank all the Gatorade, and I got our team a penalty. That was a really, really bad evening. Needless to say, I was not the water boy anymore after that season, and, and after that game. And I remember something very specifically that my dad said to me on, my dri on the drive home. Um, he looked at me, and I, I really do remember this. He looked at me, and he said this. He said, you don't have a right to be on the field, Travis. I know you're the water boy, but you have no right to step onto that field. The only reason that you're allowed on that field is because I'm there. I thought that was interesting. And through, the, and I, you know, through time, it's actually taken on kind of a, even a bigger understanding for me. It's, 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 it's been a bigger idea for me. The fact that I shouldn't be out there. The only reason I'm even there is because my dad was on the field. And because my dad was on the field, I was privileged to be on the field. That's the day, I would say, that I learned the difference between privilege and entitlement. Privilege and entitlement. Uh, there's a big difference, if you don't know, <laughs> between privilege and entitlement. If you take a note this morning, I would write down those two words, privilege and entitlement. That's what we're going to speak on today predominantly. Uh, if you're looking for a definition, it would be this. Feeling privileged is knowing that you are receiving something you don't deserve to receive. Being privileged. When you say, man, I feel privileged. That's knowing that you are receiving something that you don't deserve to receive. Now, feeling entitled. Feeling entitled is this. Receiving something that you feel you deserve to receive. You see the difference? Feeling privileged knowing that you are receiving something you don't deserve to receive. Feeling entitled receiving something that you feel you have every right <laughs> to receive. And maybe more than ever, and back me up if you agree with me, church, maybe more than ever we live in an era of entitlement. Yeah? We live in a, in a day, in an age where 
where everybody deserves something. <laughs> well, I deserve this, and, and I deserve that, and, uh, you know, if somebody wrongs us, well, I deserve money from you. You wronged me. Oh, I'm, I spilled coffee on myself. Well, they, they made the coffee too hot. I deserve money from them because the cough, they, I spilled coffee on myself. Wow. Right? I deserve this. I deserve that. I deserve to, to, I deserve to go and spend you know, this amount of money here because I, you know, I worked. and I deserve, I deserve to be able to come home and, and kick off my shoes and not talk to anybody and, and sit back and just sip on whatever and, and ignore my kids and ignore my wife because I just worked. I deserve that. I deserve that boat. I deserve that house. Oh, that guy's got that? I'm better than him. I deserve that and that. Right? We live in an era of entitlement. And here's the problem. Entitlement doesn't bring satisfaction. Entitlement breeds discontent. Or discontentment. Entitlement doesn't bring satisfaction. Because entitlement says, I want, I deserve. Therefore, when you receive things, you want more things. Well, I, I got that because I deserved that. But, you know, really, I, I deserve that too. Right? It, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever done this before. Um, uh, you ever been to a restaurant and you try to justify eating crappy food? Have you ever done that before? Or you, 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 know, you know what I mean? You're like sitting there and you've already eaten enough for five people, right? You've already, I mean, you've already eaten. Like a, a village, you know, like some tribe could sustain themselves for a month and a half on what you just ate in ten minutes, right? And you're like, oh, I've been, uh, I've been pretty good this week. I think I'm going to get a pie. You know what I mean? You ever done that? I deserve that. I, I did a sit-up the other day getting out of bed. It was unintentional. Because I sat up, but I, I did that. That's, that's worth a cream stick or six, you know? <laughs> we, uh, we live in an era of entitlement. Here's the problem. When you, when you feel entitled to receive, and maybe you can relate to this. When you, when you feel entitled to receive what you should feel privileged to receive, you begin to take for granted freedoms that you never earned. Does that make sense? Let me just say it one more time. I, f I feel like that's a, a good point. When you feel entitled to receive what you should feel privileged to receive, you begin to take for granted freedoms that you have never earned. Now, case in point, 4th of July was just the other day, one of the greatest days in our, in our nation's history. Freedom. A day of freedom. We, we shoot off fireworks and we celebrate and we get together and we talk about why we're free and how we're free. I don't know if you, you do this with your family, but we sit down with our kids and we talk to them about our, uh, the, you know, the, the founding fathers of our country and how we are standing on the shoulders of giants and, and the freedom that we have because grandpa went to war and, and great-grandpa died in this war and, and how we can do this, and we talk about those things. But this is what blows my mind, that there are people who will go and picket fireworks in Fourth of July celebrations who are American citizens. Now, the funny thing about it, the reason that it's such an oxymoron, sorry, I'm like all liberty today, okay? The reason that it's such an oxymoron is that they have every freedom to do that. And they'll tell you that. They'll, they'll, they will freely tell you, well, this is a free country. I can picket freedom if I want. 
You're an idiot. You, you are an idiot. Man, what is wrong with you, right? But they'll tell you that. Like, oh, this is a free country. I, can, I got freedom of speech. And then they'll, you know what I mean? They'll spit. Who does that stuff? All right. What happened? It's, 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 I don't get that. I don't get that. But it makes sense when you understand that when you feel entitled to receive things that you should feel privileged to have or receive, that you begin to take for granted freedoms that you never earned. See, they didn't earn that freedom. We didn't earn the freedom that we enjoy. You do realize that. So rather than feeling entitled, we need to feel privileged. We are privileged to have the freedom that we have. Amen? It is a privilege. It is an honor. Two other things that are lost in our generation. Honor. Honor and, and, and feeling that you are privileged. Now, Paul does a couple things in Ephesians, and this is what we're going to be talking about today. Paul reminds the church, and that's where we're going to start off. Jump over to Ephesians chapter 1. Let's focus there first. First, Ephesians chapter 1. This is Paul reminding the church. Chapter 1, verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Now, there's a lot of theological stuff that we could get into that we're not going to today. The point I'm trying to make, uh, make with this is this. You don't deserve to know God. <laughs> we don't deserve to know God. Rather, we are privi privileged to know God. If you're looking for a point, point number one would be this. It is a privilege to know God. It is an honor to know God. It is a humbling, life-altering, life-changing privilege to know God. And now the reason that every one of you is not standing on your feet, up, standing up to your feet and applauding and cheering is because, and I get it, we just don't realize how immense God is. I mean, how can we really? I want, I want to kind of demonstrate something for you. On the screen behind me, is, uh, well, that's the book study. Can we show, throw up that picture real quick of uh, the universe that we have? It's coming. It takes a while to access the universe. There we go. <laughs> you see this little square right here? This is max 0647 slash JD, this little square right here. Um, that quadrant of space, that's the farthest that we've been able to view out into space. It's not the edge of our universe, galaxy, whatever, but it's the farthest that we've ever been able to see. It's the farthest object that we've ever been able to see. And just to give you a, 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 an estimate on how far it is, it's 13.3 billion light years away. It's a long road trip. 13.3 billion light years, that little box, that little square. If you traveled in space, you'd see that square. 13.3 billion light years away. <laughs> Just to give you a, some perspective on this distance, because we, we don't get this. I'm not a, I'm not a science person. Not, I wish I was. I'm not, I'm not smart enough. Um, just to give you some perspective at this distance, when I say light years, um, we've got to understand how fast that is. Light travels at approximately a speed of 187,000 miles per second. 
per second. So if you, if you want to know how fast it is, run around Earth seven and a half times a second. That's how fast light travels. Oh, just to put in perspective, God spoke and light was created. Light in the very beginning travels out of God's mouth and is an amazing thing. Well, we'll get to that. So, sorry, you get me going. So, uh, yeah, so light travels at roughly 187,000 miles a second. The earth is roughly 25,000 miles around. If you want to travel at the speed of light, you would circle the globe seven and a half times every second. Now, here's the point. To get to this destination, to get right here, if you were like, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm feeling a road trip this weekend. If you wanted to go there, okay, to Max, we're just going to call it Max, okay? If you want to go check out Max, you would have to travel 187,000 miles per second for the next 13.3 billion years. Um, that kind of rocked my life. I, I didn't know that was out there. So let me just say that again, because it's crazy, right? You, if you want to go visit Max, okay, it would take you going 187,000 miles per second for the next 13.3 billion years. Listen to this scripture, Genesis 1.1. tells us that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was void without form, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. Psalm 33, 6 goes on to say, the heavens were made by the mouth, by the word of the Lord, and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. Church, it is a privilege to know this God. It is an extreme honor to know this God, our star-breathing, galaxy-creating, universe-shaping God allows us to know him. Now think about that. He allows us to know him, and he chooses to know us. He chooses to know us. He chose to send his only son for you into a world that would reject him. Now, just recently, my wife and I, uh, I didn't really have much to do with it. My wife had children, and, uh, but they were mine. I will say that. And uh, I think we have a picture of them. Here's a picture of my kids. Yeah, they're awesome, right? You can clap for that. Heck yeah. Come on. Thank you. Now, you can leave that up here. Um, I want you to know, church, I, I love you. I care about you. I, I really do. I think about you. I, I pray for you. Uh, your names are brought up often in our household, even sometimes in a good way. And, <laughs> and I love you. There's a lot of things that I would do for you, individually, collectively. Um, but these are, these, are my, these are two of my boys, two of the 33 children that we have. <laughs> and, uh, and I love you, but there's no way that I would give up one of them for any one of you. Period. I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I care about you, but there's no way that I love you that much. No way. And there's no way that I would ever sacrifice any of my children for any of you. And I hope you don't feel slighted by that, but it's because I'm a dad. It's because I'm a father. It's because I love them. And yet God, our Father, this star-breathing God, 
sent his one and only son to die for people that don't even want him. It is a privilege to know God. Number two, Paul rebukes his church. Jump over to Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. I'm just going to read that again. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. Praise God. Through faith. And this is not your own doing. You didn't do anything to deserve this. It's too expensive. That's why it had to be free. That's the TSV for you right there. Travis Standard Version. <laughs> so you can't boast about it. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Church, don't forget who you were and who you would be. Don't forget where you were and where you would be had it not been for Jesus. If you're looking for a point, I would say it this way. Number two, we must make the shift from entitlement to gratitude. We must make the shift from entitlement to gratitude. I would actually go as far as saying this, that an attitude shift from entitlement to gratitude allows us to bless God and for God to bless us. A shift in our attitude from entitlement to gratitude allows us to bless God and for God to bless us. When we have an attitude of gratitude, we place our, ourselves in a position to be blessed. Are you with me? Kind of quiet on me today. When we place our, <laughs> thank you. When we place ourselves in a position, we place ourselves in a position of to be blessed, we have an attitude of gratitude. We are not entitled to be blessed. Don't get me wrong. We are not entitled to be blessed. And God is not obligated to bless us, but an attitude of gratitude puts us in the correct position to be blessed because we serve a good father who gives his children good things. Scripture tells us that he has plans for us to prosper, not plans of destruction, plans for a future and for a hope. Now, best demonstrated is this. At Davenport Manor, we have, we have a, a family movie night every week, Friday night or Saturday night. And, uh, <laughs> and it's becoming more and more, it's becoming increasingly more difficult to select movies. Let's just say that, okay? Uh, my daughter wants My Little Ponies. My son wants Ninjago, which are Lego ninjas. And <laughs> Judah wants, I don't even, he just wants to stare off into space. I don't, you know? Um, <laughs> And, and, yeah, and, and so it's becoming increasingly difficult. So what we do on, you know, Davenport Family Movie Night, we, we order like a pizza, we get, some, we get popcorn, and we just sit down, and we have fun, you know, play some games, and we watch a movie. Well, a couple weeks ago, uh, we were getting ready, and I said, okay, guys, what, what do you want to watch? And, and Noah's like, I want to watch Ninjago. 
Oh, okay. Stella, what do you want to watch? I want to watch My Little Ponies. Fantastic. I'm not really excited about either one of those selections. <laughs> That's okay. You know? And, uh, and so this, the bickering began. They started to fight, right? Started fighting, 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 fighting. Until finally, I said, hey, guys, guess what we're going to watch? We're going to watch a documentary on finding the giant squid because neither one of you can make and That's exactly what we did. We did exactly that. It was one of the better nights that I've had for the last month, for an hour and a half. We watched that. Now, was it because my kids were horrible, evil, deviant little people? No, 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 no. But I didn't give them what they wanted because they were being brats. They, they were arguing and bickering over a family movie night, something that's a privilege to have. We don't have to do that. I don't, I don't have to order my children a movie. I don't have to, we don't have to order food or make special meals or hang out. We don't have to do that. We do that because we love our children. We do that because we want to spend time with them. We do that because hopefully we're, we're getting better as parents. We want to be good parents. We want to be great parents. I want to be a good dad who, who does good things and, and is a good father. Now, likewise, in our lives, so often we try to take the driver's seat away from God. I mean, you know what I mean? We start bickering with God. We start bickering over small things in our life. An attitude of entitlement removes God's hand of blessing from our lives. Now, write that down and live with that. An attitude of entitlement removes God's hand of blessing from your life. And just like my kids, oftentimes I love them, but sometimes they are punks, right? Sometimes, if you've got kids, I hear you, sister, I hear you, right? They are, and you're just like, whose children are you? You're the spawn of Satan. What, who are you, kid? Just go, I'm going to lock you in your room, right? You understand? Sometimes this is how we act in our relationship with Jesus. And Jesus has just got to be like, who are you? You're asking me for more and more and more because you're not happy with what I've already given to you? You're not satisfied? You're not thankful? That's the key. You're not thankful? An, an attitude of entitlement removes God's hand for blessing from our lives. But even greater than this, church, an attitude of entitlement in his church removes God's presence from our midst. That's scary. An attitude of entitlement in his church removes God's presence from our midst. Remember what religion says? Religion says, if I do this, then God does this. Remember that? Religion says, I will do these things. It's a ritual. It's a religion. It's a religious experience. I will do this, and because I do this, God will act this way, or God will do this. So we show up reading and singing and listening, not out of gratitude, but out of entitlement. In essence, we're just paying our dues so we can get something that we want. Are you feeling me? If I do this long enough, then God will give me the house I want. If I say this prayer, you know, a couple times or, you know, a dozen times, maybe then I'll get some more money. If I volunteer, then maybe God will bless me in this way or that way. See, entitlement puts you in the driver's seat of your relationship with Jesus Christ. You are, you're the one dictating what God is to do and what God is not to do in your life. 
you're the one, get this, you're the one informing our galaxy-creating, star-breathing, life-forming God what you think he ought to be spending his time doing. You ever done that? God, I, I got to call you on that one. I think you're going to have to take a mulligan. I uh, don't think you made the right decision on that one, God. God is bigger than you could ever imagine. And you, you think that you know better than God. Now, I'm in the you category. I could just be sitting right here with you, okay? Right there. I think, we think, we know better than God. And this is Paul's rebuke to his church, saying, you don't know better than God. You don't. You did not raise yourself from the dead. He says, before, before, you, even, before you even knew Jesus, he came for you. Before you were even created, you were predestined for salvation, to be God's child. Did you do that? Did you raise yourself from the dead? What can a dead thing do to bring itself back to life? Well, with enough willpower and a little dash of luck, no! A dead thing is dead. And yet we feel entitled. Listen to me, church. An entitled church is a passionless dead church. Do you hear me? An entitled church is a passionless dead church. When we show up to do religious things out of entitlement, guilt, and an agenda, God's spirit is gone. This is why we read in Revelation about churches where it says they worshiped and they praised and they glorified God and God's spirit was not among them. How is it that a church could get together and do fantastic things and, and see beautiful videos and, and, and hear scripture and sing songs and raise our hands and yet God's presence isn't there? I'll tell you how. Because entitlement has entered the building. And when entitlement comes in and there's a church who, with a bunch of people who feel entitled, God leaves. I'm sorry. I'm gone. You are not entitled to a thing. You hear me? You are not entitled. You're privileged to know God. You are honored to know God. We are humbled that we can know God. Here's my, here's my question. Are we an entitled church? Are we a dead church? Are we a dead church? Or are we a people who would rather limp through life with the, with the crutch of religion? Are we? No, no. Are we a church that is filled with passion? Are we a church that is filled with gratitude? Are we a church that is fueled by freedom? A freedom that can only be known when you accept Jesus Christ and you recognize that it is out of God's grace and God's grace alone that he was sent to us. It's nothing that we did. It's nothing that we earned. It's nothing that we could hold. It's God. Jesus Christ says to his Father, Father, keep them. Your salvation, you can't even keep your salvation on your own. You realize that? Well, I, I haven't sinned for three days. You're sinning all the time. All the time. All the, your, your body, your flesh is sinful. Mine too. We're all sinful. And God keeps us. That word seal. He seals us. He keeps us. It says, what can take us out of the hand of God? Nothing. Not height, not depth, not any living creature, not principality. Nothing can take us out of the hand of God. You can't even hold on to your salvation. 
It's all God. Even the faith at which you accepted Christ. Well, I remember I made the decision. God gave you the faith. Yeah, but I prayed that. God made your tongue. I mean, you want to go back that far? Who gave you breath? Who breathed life into you? Who knit you together in your mother's womb? Who created your mother? Who created your father? Who created the opportunity for them to meet? Who created the opportunity for them to be married? Who created the opportunity for them not to float off in space because gravity wasn't invented? It's God. It's God. We are honored to know God. And we must be thankful. Lastly, Paul realigns the church. Go over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 22. Says this. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, Turn to your neighbor and say, old self. Just touch somebody and say, old self. Now look at somebody else and say, new self. Come on now. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Are we a dead church or are we a passion-filled church? Come on. Look at somebody and say, old self. Look at somebody and say, new self. When we come to Christ, we are to throw off our old self. And we step into our new self. Verse 23, it says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, this is what it looks like. This is what the new self looks like. Okay? This is what it looks like. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, who remembers one of another. Be angry and do not sin. I like that verse. Go ahead. Go ahead. Be angry. Just don't sin. Be angry. Don't sin. I like that. We're going to talk about that. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Oh, man, we hate that verse. We were made to work. Oh, man. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Give grace. Verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. There's that word again. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. And this is how we are to live. Stop returning to your former life, church. Stop it. Stop returning to your former life. You've been set free. You don't have to return to it. And it's out of this thankful heart. It's out of this attitude of gratitude. If you're looking for point three, point three is this. Gratitude fuels our obedience. We don't obey because we have to. We don't obey because we're so scared of this huge God. We should be. (laughs) We don't obey because we feel guilted into it. We obey because we're thankful. We obey because we have gratitude. Gratitude fuels our obedience stop returning to your former life there's this passage in scripture it says this proverbs 26 11 like a dog and this is what it says are you ready proverbs 26 11 look at me are you ready yeah. listen to the scripture it says this like a dog that returns to his vomit 
is a fool who repeats his folly. Every time you choose to go back and dip your toe into your former life, you are a fool. You are, as the Bible would say, just like a dog returning to its vomit. That sounds disgusting. But that's how vulgar it is that you would turn your back on Christ and dip your toe into your former life when you've been set free. It's just like a dog returning, how many times can I say this, to his vomit. It's gross. If you have a cat, you've seen it all the time. My cat does it so gross. I was telling my wife, my cat's a fool, honey. My cat's a fool. She doesn't get it. <laughs> but when your identity is rooted, rooted in God and you have an attitude of gratitude, then your actions will come from the overflow of your heart. Gratitude fuels obedience. And this, we're going to end on this, but this is why you're not going to catch me trying to guilt you into joining a sea life group. This is why you're not going to catch me trying to guilt you into, or push you or guilt you into coming to, to help out at a woman's refuge that we have. I'm not going to, I'm not going to guilt. This is why you're not, I'm not going to guilt you into trying to help out with our children's ministry. You know why? Because I shouldn't have to. I won't do it. And if I only get you to do something out of guilt, then you're going to do a horrible job at it anyway. Imagine if you showed up last week at our women's refuge. You're helping to refurb, refurbish a house. And you're there because you were guilted or you felt like, oh, I guess I better go. And every single shovel that you dig, you just hate it more and hate it more. I don't believe. Imagine if you're working with our children. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm back here because I'm trying to impress my girlfriend. And, uh. But I hate kids. You know, everybody else turns around, you're like kicking them in the shins, you know. And <laughs> number one. I'm going to beat you up. And then number two, you're not going to help back there anymore. But you see my point? Like, don't do it. But when we have an attitude of gratitude, it fuels our obedience. How could we not get involved? How could we not talk about Jesus to our friends? How could we not volunteer in a church that's all about life change? And maybe this is your home church, and maybe you're visiting from out of church, from out of, from out of state, and you're from a different church, whatever it is. How could you not be involved in your home church? How could you not give to a God who has given you everything? You're not going to hear guilt from me, because if you don't want to do it, I ain't guilting you into it. I'm just saying you've got a gratitude problem, because when you align your attitude to understand that you don't deserve anything, and yet God gives you everything, how could you not just be overflowing of your heart all the time. This is why we have Sea Life groups, so we can sit around and talk about how awesome God is, so we can learn about him. But you're not going to hear me go, well, listen, listen, church, listen, listen. If you don't get involved in one of our small our Sea Life groups, well, I just really doubt your Christianity. You're not gonna, I'm not going to say that. Number one, I'm not going to think that. And I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to announce something <laughs> I'm not going to announce anything like 15 times either, okay? I'm just not going to. Number one, I shouldn't have to. Number two, it's redundant. And number three, by about the 14th time, we're hoping that maybe it's, it's guilted you enough that you want to, oh, I said it like 14 times. I saw it on Facebook. I guess I better do this. No, don't. Save me the trouble. Save me the counseling session. Seriously. Just, just save it. Instead, go home 
and write a list of all the reasons that you should be grateful for God. And then let me see if you want to get involved. Then let me see if you want to talk to your friends about Christ. Do you see the difference? See the difference? Gratitude fuels obedience. A church that is filled with gratitude will never be short a kid's worker. A gratitude-filled church will never be short on finances. A gratitude-filled church will never, will never have to come down on people for not inviting their friends to a worship experience. Because when you have gratitude for Christ, you just want to do stuff. <laughs> you just want to do everything. A gratitude-filled person, when they come home, they can't wait to see their kids. A gratitude-filled person, they can't wait to serve their wife. You hear me, church? And our gratitude fuels our obedience. I shouldn't have to tell you to read your Bible. Hey, did you read your Bible this week? I shouldn't have to remind you to hear from God. Come on, wake up. Hey, did you talk to God this week? No, you know what? I really didn't get to talk to the creator of the universe this week. I was a little bit busy flipping burgers at Wendy's. I just couldn't do it. Are you serious? I mean, I could go off on this. I'm sorry. You have the opportunity to speak to the God who creates Max 0647JD, 13.3 billion light years away, and you're like, eh, I'd rather play PlayStation. <laughs> right? It's because we don't have an attitude of gratitude. It's because we feel entitled. You have access to the throne of God. Do you hear me? You're a child of God. You're a child of the living God, a warrior King Jesus Christ. You have access to him. He loves you. He knows you. He knows how many hairs are on your head or how many are gone. <laughs> right? That's our God. I want you to leave today feeling, feeling thankful for our God and realigned and rebuked and reminded. Thanks for listening to this recent sermon from Covenant Church. If you made any type of decision today after hearing this message, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us at mystory@covenantchurchonline.com and check back regularly for more exciting and impactful sermon audio just like this.